Hello, comic creators. Welcome back to the Comics Connection podcast. I am Gamal. He is Andy. We haven't been around for a while because it's been summer and because we had been taking various sojourns around the country for a comic convention. Andy, um, how was your comic book conventions? Uh, they've been good. They've been good. Um, I'm glad to be home. It's nice to, you know, sleep in my own bed. But yeah, San Diego was long and, uh, and busy and fun and all the things that it's supposed to be. But best of all, I got to hang out with you. Exactly. You and I had a very nice dinner. I can't remember the name of the place, but it was fine. And then we went to the comic book legal defense front party and we got split up and we like barely saw each other again. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty ideal, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the first thing we actually got to talk about that's not just, you know, our itinerary is an article that came out of ICV2, I believe, that talked about the impact of a lot of the strike shenanigans impacting San Diego. Now, before the con actually started, there was a lot of trepidation and a lot of worry that even though the show was sold out, there was not going to be as much activity, there was not going to be as much enthusiasm because the Screen Actors Guild strike prevented any actor from actually going to the convention to promote all the projects that they did. Um, if you were in San Diego, however, and you were anywhere near the convention center, you saw that basically all of the studios, as they probably do every year, painted the sides of every building around the convention center with some show or program. And there was promotions and activity for everything from Twisted Metal to Interview with a Vampire to Star Trek to whatever. So, but the article did say, and there's been quite a few articles that have said this since San Diego closed, that the retailers who were on the show floor said that they had more business than they did in previous years when Hollywood had a major presence. And I know from having, do, having done like four or five panels that weekend, there were a lot more people in the room than you know, I would have normally expected because I guess, you know, Chris Hemsworth and Anthony Mackie were not around. Uh, Andy, did you have that? Because I know you've gone to the San Diego for like 15, 20 years in a row. Did you, what did you see that was different about this year's show compared to other years? Yeah, I think it's definitely going to depend uh, how different your experience was. Is going to depend on kind of what you're there for and what you're doing. Right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you're a fan that really wants to get the inside track on what's coming up in the next Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. The lack of there being these giant things in Hall H was, was probably a pretty big deal to you. Um, that's not why I go to the show. Like, I go to have meetings. So for me, the show was largely not all that different. Mm -hmm. There was still a ton of people, like you said, it was sold out, it spilled out all over downtown. All the buildings were dressed uh, so you could go, you know, go into your, you know, the pub across the street and go up to the replicator and they spit out food for you or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so th that aspect of it for me, those two aspects, the crowd and all that, and then, you know, the types of meetings that I tend to have, 
wasn't all that different. I also have meetings primarily with comic book and publishing people, and they were all there. Mm. Uh, but some of the other folks that I talked to, I did think the panels were better attended. Um, we did several. Uh, I did think they were better attended, and um, and some of the conversations I had, you know, retailers certainly see, saw more traffic, and it seemed like they, their sales were a bit higher. Um, and I think even in the small press area for publishers, it seemed like there, there was heavier traffic there. Um, and some of the creators I talked to that were in Artist Alley said they did said they had really good years. Mm-hmm. Um, it did seem like there were still plenty of announcements coming out. Um, you know, I, so I was kind of I, I was interested to see on the media side of things outside of the show if comic news was going to get buried the way that it usually does. And it still seemed to get kind of buried the way that it usually does. Mm-hmm. Now, I actually had a question because I've been thinking about this off and on for a few days. And I don't actually see the direct correlation between if I'm a fan who really was going to fight to get into Hall H and I got my tickets before the strike. So I didn't know that the actors weren't going to be there. I don't know that I would have necessarily said, oh, well, Hall H is closed. I'm going to go to Artist Alley and pick up a book from a creator I've never heard of before. It's It seems like those are two different sets of people. So... Do you kind of have an idea why there would be increased sales for the small press and independent guys simply because of the SAG strike? Yeah, well, and that's why, you know, I I try to choose my words carefully and not say that, you know, retailers and small press people had like banner years, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, don't want to overstress that. But uh, I think you're right. Like, like, you know, if you're looking at the Venn diagram of it, you know, but there is a sliver of people mm-hmm. that are fans. Like if I wasn't going there as a professional, if I was just going up a fan as a fan of things that I like, I would try and spend some time, you know, get into Hall H or seeing some TV, movie, animation and stuff. But I'm also into comics, right? Mm. So if you, so for if it were me just going as a fan and the movie stuff wasn't as prevalent, that would give me more time to more thoroughly you know go through the comics and the video game section and. Mm. So I do think that there's enough of an overlap that it probably that that's largely why there would be a bump, I think. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's plenty of people that you know. If I'm not into comics, if I don't read comics, but I I like superheroes in the movies. Probably I didn't go to the show floor to the small press comics mm. place or even Artist Alley unless I was like, hey, there's maybe a famous artist I want to get an autograph from. Mm, mm. I also thought that that. Maybe you're right about the Venn diagram kind of thing, because I also thought like the panels that you and I did about breaking into comics and how to have a career in comics. It seemed like if you were really you were really going to get into Hall H and to see what DC was going to try to do to like resurrect themselves, would you really then go to how to like survive in comics without gatekeepers as an alternative? Because it seems like that Venn diagram is much, much smaller. I would think that is a small, uh, that's a small overlap. But I think there was just, yeah, I mean, if you were interested in, you know, a lot lot of professionals or a lot of would-be professionals or new professionals go to the show and they go to panels for advice. Mm -hmm. And if there were fewer panels on advice on breaking in as a screenwriter, but they're interested in comics, Mm. they might come over to 
breaking into comics or how to make a career in comics. I mean, there's, there's, you know, it's, there's multiple circles, right? So you only need like a couple of those to have these little slivers to, you know, boost your attendance at a panel that, that, you know, maybe has 200 people normally to get to 250. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. No, that makes sense. I mean, I was, I was actually pleased with the attendance on all of the panels that I did, even the one that I had to surprisingly do all by myself without any like warning and no one told me about it, but you know, that's fine. Did I do that to you? No, 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 no. It was, a, it was the, yeah, it was the small press publishing panel. I kind of found out that I was on it by accident. And then when I got there at the Omni hotel, out of the five participants, I was the only one who showed up. So there was a room full of people and wow. I guess I just started talking. So, yeah, they were, they seemed pleased. And I kind of think that because we do those Q and A's every week for Comics Connection, it was much easier for me to just sit up there and, you know, talk about how to get into small press publishing because that's what we do every week. For sure. Yeah. yeah. It takes a while to get comfortable kind of doing the off the cuff Q and A. And yeah, I'm sure you did great. Well, the, the exact same thing happened when, well, similar thing happened when I went to TerrificCon over the weekend. I had a presentation with slides and data and well-thought-out jokes and everything. And then I got there. They're like, yeah, we have no projector, so you can't use your slideshow. And by the way, there's this moderator who you've never met before and never talked to. He's going to interview you. Good luck. So, yeah, that's how that happened. And, yeah. <laughs> The wonderful world of comics, which is uh, which is going to be a very inelegant segue to another article that came out right after Comic Con by um, Joe Illage in Popverse. Now, for those of you who are not aware of Joe Illage, you should be aware of Joe Illage if you're listening to this podcast, because Joe has been in comics from the editorial and the writer side for probably about as long as you and I, Andy maybe a bit longer, I guess, um, started it. He's not, seen well, it was, it, it was not Vertigo. It was the one with Static Shock, the Milestone. Um, milestone. Then yeah. went to, then he was at Heavy Metal for a while. He was also at Lion Forge. So he's been in the business for quite some time. Um, and he wrote the beginning what seems like a series of articles for Popverse basically talking about how basically talking about how horrible the economic situation of comic book creators are and why it is so horrible. I'm going to list the um, article in the show notes, but basically the gist is because everyone in comics loves comics, they are willing to make very poor business and legal decisions for the chance to be in comics, which creates a situation along with the fact that there's profit margins are very low in comics where people are in comics on a ostensibly full-time basis, but not making a full-time salary, which leads to burnout and financial problems and medical problems related to your financial problems and psychological problems related to your financial problems and just problems that people, but people continue to stay in comics. Um, Andy, 
I didn't necessarily wasn't necessarily looking forward to reading this article because it's something something we talk about like a lot. Um, what what was your take on it? Um, yes, I think it was my take on it. You know, like I mean, I obviously I've been in the industry for a long time. I've been on the editorial side, publishing side, education side, uh, right? You know, creator side. You know. I'm, printing side like I've, I've seen it from so many different um vantage points uh and you know every time you know the comics hashtag you know uh, comics broken me goes around or you know whatever the new version of that is it seems to go around every at least once a year mm -hmm. and we're all up in arms and and it's it's the same complaints and they're valid every time they're still valid um uh, but then there doesn't seem to be much consensus on what to do to make things better. But I would posit a couple of things to make it better. The mm -hmm. primary one being education mm -hmm. and just educating yourself because this information, these pitfalls, it's all readily available. Like if you want to go read about it, I mean, it's, it's often heartbreaking to read, mm -hmm. like it's terrible. Um, but it is there, you know, and so you know, historically in comics, there have been sort of these generational divides. Uh, you know, uh, if you go back to the creators who were big, like in the 1960s, like Jack King, Kirby, mm -hmm. um, you know, or even even before him, you know, the creators of Superman, they didn't really know what they were signing, mm -hmm. right? And, and they didn't understand, they certainly didn't have any idea of the value of what creating Superman would be, right? Mm -hmm. But then by the time Kirby came around, they understood some of this importance, mm -hmm. right? And so they asked for some different things. And then the generation after that, Neil Adams, you know, helped lead, lead the charge on creators' rights and got more concessions. By the time I was entering comics, I mean, Neil Adams was entering comics in the 1970s. By the time I was entering comics in around 2000, uh, yeah, I went in with my eyes open. Like I, I knew those stories. And I knew what the problems still were. Um, and that was, you know, I mean, there's a lot more of that information. It's even more readily available now. But I went in with my eyes open. I went into Marvel knowing I wasn't going to own anything that I created there. And that was, a, that was, you know, it was a bargain I was willing to make. But I always had an escape hatch. Like, I always had, a, like, a like my plan wasn't to go to Marvel and hope for the best. My plan was to go to Marvel learn everything I could so that I could do this myself and leave so that I could make my own better business decisions. But if mm -hmm. I could build a reputation, meet all the people I needed to meet, learn how it all worked, then I was getting the value I needed from Marvel. Mm -hmm. Once I had that, it was time to look at the door because mm -hmm. if there wasn't, a, I mean, not that I could keep learning and still keep learning, of course, but you know, you hit kind of this, you know, my ROI, so to speak on that. And so it was time to look for, for what was next. So I could either keep learning, you know, lots, or I could start to use what I've learned to, to, to put myself in a more financially stable position. Um, but I did that because I learned. I did that because of education, but from talking with other creators. And that can be really hard to do, especially during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, when it's hard to get together in spaces, but 
I'm, I'm part of several like message boards and Discord servers and things like that of creators. And that's what I've been sort of talking about. And, and I don't do it as a sales pitch to join Comics Connection. Of course, that's a great place to learn it. But I do it because like, hey, we're all professionals. You know, these forms, like we're all professionals already. Like we need to be talking to the people that we are interacting with that are coming. Like we, we have a responsibility to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's not going to catch everybody. Um, and it is difficult because, you know, there's been talking unions that's never worked because there are always people willing to undercut, um, the pay to get ahead. So there, I mean, there are definite hurdles, but there are also things you can do to just go into deals with your eyes open, making sure you know what you're getting out of it, make sure it's mm -hmm. valuable enough for you and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's depressing to read these, these articles, um, and unfortunately, right now, it's we're in a position with everything being freelance that it's all the problems that freelance has in general, no matter what industry you're in, you know, work for hire work, that sort of thing. But it's also, uh, you know, that just doesn't seem like there's a lot of progress. But unfortunately, that means we're in a world where the only person looking out for you is your boss. And when you're doing work for hire work, you're your boss. So it's kind of you. There are networks and sport and communities which are really really important because we can kind of help help people avoid pitfalls and that kind of thing yeah yeah i think one of the things that i have found out just being on the legal side for so many years is that you are correct in that the education is out there more and more people know what it is that the problems are and more and more of them realize the value potential value of what they're creating the problem is they love comics. So it's not like talking to somebody who's a hedge fund manager who doesn't love the hedge fund. He loves the money and therefore will make business decisions based on the money. If I was selling, I don't know, car tires, I don't love car tires. I just love the money. So I, that's how I make my decisions. But people who are in comics, love comics so if they even if they come to me and they want me to you know analyze their deal and tell them what's wrong with it i will tell them this is a horrible deal do not sign this and they will sign it because they want to see their book on the shelf they they've been trying to get a creator own deal for like five years and they figure if they don't sign this one it's going to be another five years or they're not going to get a deal at all or like I, I put together this book to give people kind of a safety valve and say, okay, you could publish your own comic. But a lot of people, they read it and go, okay, now I know how to publish my own comic. I don't want to do all of this. I don't want to do marketing and advertising and profit and loss statements. So it's, it's a combination of knowledge and kind of, I don't want to tell people to just be like a cold-blooded mercenary in comics and not really even like comics because that's not how comics work. You'll not, you won't be able to make great creative decisions if you don't even like the medium you're in, but there has to be a balance between what you love about comics and what you love about, you know, not being homeless and then balance those two to get to, to making those better decisions. And we're trying to do that in Comics Connection. We're trying to do that when we do these panels and people ask, because a lot of the questions that people are asking in the panels is, well, how do I make this 
decision or what it is, what should I be looking for so I don't make the same mistakes that Siegel and Schuster made or that, you know, a lot of these other people made as they were coming up. So yeah. do what we can. There, there, and there's another trap that I've seen that or recognized that's been going on for a long time, but I've recognized it lately more is uh, is because this information is out there, people will read about it and be like, okay, I know what it is, and therefore I know how to avoid it. And that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Knowing what the issues are is not the same thing as knowing how to avoid them. Um, and so, you know, again, sort of that community aspect is really helpful because I've had some people, you know, bring me bring me a contract to just eyeball and they're not able to you know, they don't know anybody else and I'll take a look at it and, and I will, of course, always tell them I'm not an attorney. I'm not giving legal advice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Good answer. Good answer. But, you know, I'll often see something in, in those contracts where I'm like, oh, this is, just so you know, this section here means this. Like you, like it has a specific sort of like industry term or whatever, mm-hmm. or you make sure that you realize that, you know, by signing this, you're agreeing to this other thing too. And sometimes and it's not even that those are always hidden. It's not always like predatory practices. And it's not always, it's not even just in with contracts, but mm-hmm. contracts are an easier example I think to point to because people kind of get that. But but yeah, sometimes you, you just kind of kind of let people know, oh yeah, I learned that the hard way. Let me mm-hmm. save you the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the first creator-owned contract I signed, I there was a section in it that I really didn't understand. And it it allowed me to keep my copyright, like my ownership, and I knew I was sharing like the movie rights, mm-hmm. right? What I didn't understand was that um, it didn't give me a seat at the table like to get a producing credit or a written by credit. So mm-hmm. when the deal was being made, the company that had the rights set up this giant uh, producing deal for themselves. Mm-hmm. So like the rights sold for like five thousand dollars, which we split, and then I split my half with my, you know, my guy. Like uh, we actually, I wound up blowing up the deal because I found this out, so the deal never actually happened. But uh, but they were setting up a deal where they would get fifty thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars to be the producers, of which I hadn't. I would get none of that, so they were going to get fifty thousand plus half what my collaborator and I would have got. I wound up being able to blow up the deal out of spite because that's how I roll. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But well, that was a really eye-opening thing because I just I didn't realize that that's what I was signing. So I learned that one the hard way. I made sure that that got, didn't happen in further contract. But there's just so many of those sorts of things that just knowing people who can just whisper in your ear or just take a look over your shoulder every once in a while is super valuable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the kind of thing that we do on a, like a weekly basis at Comics Connection. We have these open Q&As that people can come in and they can ask any question they want about anything that they're doing in comics. And we do that on top of having the Discord open so that people can ask each other questions and collaborate and things like that. However, if anybody listening to this podcast, if you have any questions or any like thoughts that you are trying to figure out about comics, please put them in the comments. And we will attempt to get to them as they come in. Um, This is going, this is why we kind of have this podcast. So if you guys 
want to actually start to engage and have more discussions even in this space, we'd be more than happy to do it. Um, that's going to wrap things up for us. But before we go, Andy, I know that there's a project that you wanted to mention, and I know there's a project I want to mention, so I'm gonna let you go first. All right, yes. Uh, so CEX Publishing, where I am the publisher, is starting our first, uh, is launching our first Kickstarter within the next week. And we're gonna put the link uh, either to the preview page or the project page in the notes, um, but it's called Midnight Tiger. Um, and it was a cult hit that never got completed because bad deals got signed and mm. things went sideways. Uh, and it took Ray, uh, the creator, Ray Anthony Hyde, who's awesome, one of the nicest people in the world, super talented, took him a long time to get his rights back. Um, and I was super happy that he liked CEX's deal and we got along real well. So we're going to kickstart a hardcover graphic novel that is the complete origin story for the first time that the whole thing's never been published before. Um, and it's going live very soon and we're super excited about it. And, and it's a really, it's a really, really fun book. Okay. So we, well, that we preview, yeah, that preview page will be in the show notes along with the preview page for a book that I am going to be coming out with. I think we're launching the Kickstarter on September 12th. It is going to be the follow-up to the business of independent comic book publishing. It will be called the business of freelance comic book publishing. It's going to walk you through the entire process of setting yourself up in the business as a freelancer, working in various aspects of the comic book industry so that you could actually set yourself up in a business, actually make some money, and build up a reputation where you could actually have a career that does not hopefully lead to burnout. So those two Kickstarter pages will be listed in the show notes along with the two articles that we were talking about today. So until the next time, I'm Kamal, he's Andy, Andy. and you have fun with your comp.